Well, good morning, church. How are we? Hey, so listen, we are in this series that we are calling Kingdom Come. And the way that I've tried to intro this series every time that I've been up here is that over the, the last maybe going on a year, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And specifically, this, this beautiful life that Jesus invites us into. And with this, this series, Kingdom Come, we're looking at how, how that beautiful life shines most, most clearly, is seen most concretely and tangibly in our life together. And so we've been talking about a number of things, being a community that, that, that reconciles and that serves and that encourages. And this morning, we get to talk about being a community that gives. And so to help us with that, we have invited our BIC Atlantic Conference Bishop, Brian Hope, to to share with us this morning. And so as Brian comes to share, let me pray for him and pray for us for our time in God's Word together this morning. Won't you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, as we have just spent the last 20 minutes singing, your love is reckless. Your love is overwhelming. Your love is, is pure. And your love is available to every single one of us. And so this morning as we talk about, about being a community that gives and generosity, we keep in mind that, that anything that we ever do, we are simply giving back to what you have lavished upon us that we are responding to your overwhelming love. And for that, we thank you. And so this morning, I ask that as we, as we gather around your word, that you would allow us to see and hear and open our, our hearts to the truth that Brian is going to bring to us. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Brian? Amen. Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> You don't know how many times people have said, good morning, Brian. And I'm like, hey, oh, no, they're talking to that guy I was hanging out with. Never mind. Well, good morning to you all. I'm also Brian. It's uh, great to be family together. As that Brian just said, I, I get to be honored, privileged to serve across a region of churches of which you are a vital part. So I just thanks for welcoming this morning. Um, a number of weeks ago, Brian did email me, and he said, hey, we'd love to have you come and share at Mannheim, and just wondered if some dates, if this date would be available to you. We're in this series, and he described the series. He talked about the beautiful life and how that's expressed best in community, and I looked at the date today that he gave, and I'm like, yes, I can be there. Great, he responds. Um, we want you to talk about generosity. Like, you mean like money, generosity? I'm thinking, ah, I see what you did there. You know, you just kind of tell me the series and see if I'm available, I'm available. And then it's like, yep, here's your subject, you know, sort of thing. Smooth move. But, you know, I said, no problem. Because of how the Bible deals with generosity, money, and we're not just talking money this morning, we're talking generosity in all ways. Because of how Jesus, in fact, links this subject to our hearts so closely, I'm like, yes, when we talk about the beautiful life, when we talk about life that is truly life, if, if we don't go here, we're missing one of the key areas that at least Jesus and many other spots in the Bible links to the core of who we are, our hearts, and how we express love back to God and with one another in community. So yes, 
nice way to ask the question, and I'm here, I'm with you, you know, that sort of thing. So we're going to dive in this morning and really think again about kingdom come, about this beautiful life, how it gets expressed in community, and specifically focus in on generosity. So it's clear to me, anyhow, as I live and move in this country, we are certainly privileged, are we not? We're privileged to live in this country, and it doesn't mean that there aren't other spots around the globe or other nations that we could be a part of that would be great places to be as well, but we're here. This is where God has planted us, at least for the time being, and, and man, there's some advantages. There's abundance, and particularly in relationship to the rest of the world, it's just staggering. As I thought about that a bit, I mean, I've seen the images, I've been a couple of those spots, but I thought there's some ways to measure that that are just concrete, it's not just stories or or what we see on television. And one of those ways, and I'm not going to get too big into it, but it's called the gross national product, that's how we relate one nation to another, And, and it has to do with the amount of goods and services that are put out by a nation versus the amount of people that are in that nation, and they make some ratio there, and they break it down per person, and, and then you get the gross national product, or the GNP. And I looked at some years for this, and looked at the United States versus some other countries, and it was just staggering, the differences in some places. In fact, in one year, the, the GNP of the U.S. was 24470 and in India, it was 300. So think about that, 24,000 to 300, this is this individual measurement of how much we have per person based on what's going out there. Another way to compare it would be disposable income. So we all receive this income and then certain amounts have to be spent on certain things. And, And some of us maybe have a portion of our income that we can choose what we do with it. And so another study looked at disposable income, the part that we get to choose what to do with, and how much of that has to be spent on food. And in the United States, the average was about 10%. So of what we get to choose to spend our money on, about 10% goes to food. And that same year in Sri Lanka, it was 50%. So 50% of their income just had to go to food. What's the point? Well, we have a lot. Compared to so many, at least I feel pretty well off. And especially as you see or hear about the conditions in other nations. Now, that's not to nullify the fact that some of us, maybe even some of us right here this morning, are in need. We feel that. That's not a great place. It's stressful at times to think about where's this coming from or where's that coming from. It's not to nullify that at all. It's just to do the old comparison game and say, well, As I compare myself, not you, but myself to others around the world, yeah, I probably have a good amount. So why do I bring that all up? Because this morning the passage we're going to look at in the Bible addresses those who are rich. And my concern is some of us might hear that and think, good, finally the dude is talking to somebody else, I can catch a little shut-eye, right? Now listen, if you need to catch a little more sleep, I mean, it was only Daylight Savings Time, you know, just a few weeks ago, you, you still may be off. If you need to do that, feel free. This is probably a good opportunity to do so. But just don't do so because you think this isn't going to apply to you. Because when we hear the word rich, especially in comparison to so many others, that pretty much does apply to us. And if we use the context of Jesus' day, In fact, the letter that we're going to be reading, 
a little bit from the people to whom that was written. Essentially, well, let's take a little bit of a quiz together just to get a sense of what would put us in the rich category um, back in Jesus' day. So answer these questions for yourself. You don't have to do it out loud, but these are kind of yes or no. Here's the first one. Do you have food for today and money or food for tomorrow? So think through that, food for today, money or food for tomorrow. And here's the second one. Do you have more than one set of clothes? As in you're wearing one right now, and then you have at least one more set of clothes at home or someplace that you could wear tomorrow or the next day. In Jesus' day, in his context, answering yes to both of those questions would make you rich. So just keep that in mind for what we're going to read this morning when, when our author talks about that, this letter that we're going to read, that likely most of us fall into that category. And again, not trying to minimize need, because I know that's there and I know it's here. But if we can answer yes to those questions, that means this stuff is addressed to us. It's certainly addressed to me. You can figure out whether it's addressed to you or not. So this morning, to help us kind of look at this idea, we're going to look at a letter in the New Testament of the Bible that was written by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul had this incredible experience with Jesus. The type of experience that is so life-changing that it's just like you're heading in this direction and boom, 180, and the rest of his life was just sold out to following Jesus and serving him. And after a while of doing that, he started investing in other people. And there was a younger leader in one area of the church, the Jesus followers, that he started writing to. It was kind of like a son in the faith to him, another person named Timothy. And at different points, he wrote him letters to encourage Timothy on how to lead and how to teach the group of Jesus followers he was a part of. And so we have two of those letters in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at the first one of those letters. From Paul to Timothy, we get to get a sense of what he was communicating about, what was important to him, what was important to Jesus through what he wrote to him. This is where we're going to base the majority of our time this morning. So um, if you're the type that likes to follow along, you can turn on or open up a Bible. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. They'll be on the screen behind me as well. But this is really what's going to help frame our conversation this morning. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy for that community and by extension for us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, as I read those words, the first word that jumps out to me right off the bat is this word, command. So when Paul's writing this, when he's telling Timothy this, when he's saying, share this with the people, he's not saying, well, this might be a good idea, or, or here's a suggestion for you. He actually says, this is an imperative. This is of high importance. Okay, all right, I'm in that frame of mind. 
And then I keep going, and then that next word that really hits me is rich. Command those who are rich. Now, having established that most, if not all of us, already fall into this category, isn't it comforting as we read these words that actually those people aren't being condemned? Paul doesn't condemn being rich or wealth. He has an issue here, but it's not that. It's actually trusting in it, trusting in wealth. Paul contrasts two places where we can place our hope and trust. He contrasts these two places. Will it be in wealth, the wealth of here and now, or in the hope of what's to come with God? So so which is more certain? Where is our trust? Is it in something that's temporary or something that it will last? Is it in something unreliable or something dependable? As I was thinking about those ideas, I I thought back to another spot in the Bible where God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And I want to read to you, just listen to these words. This is out Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I love this imagery. Thirsty? Come and drink. Hungry? Come and eat. No cost for you. Here it is. It's all for the taking. But it's after that invitation that these questions really get me. Why spend money on that which is not bread? Why labor on something that doesn't satisfy? People, you're chasing after the wrong things. Don't you get it? Your focus, your pursuit, it isn't going to get you what you want. Because you're obviously pursuing something. You're hungry. You're spending money. But it's not on bread. You might think it is. You might think it actually provides what you need, what you're looking for. But it won't. And the invitation that Isaiah gives from God is, come, buy, eat. It's here for you. What would actually satisfy you? It's here. You know, for the people that Isaiah is addressing, there may be this sense of confusion. They think they're pursuing the right things. They think they're provide, or pursuing something that's going to provide what they want. But, but there's a bit of a confusion there. And maybe that's the case for the people that Timothy will eventually be addressing as well. But Paul actually uses another word when he's writing about this. Paul highlights an attitude of arrogance. An arrogance which is leading the people to put their hope in the wrong place. So there may be some confusion there too, but it also, maybe this arrogance is being expressed in the idea of security, because there's this security we can get from riches. So maybe that's where the arrogance is pointing. There's a security in having a lot of money, a lot of stuff. If something unexpected comes up, well, I can handle it. 
If I need or want something, I can provide it. I mean, even if I want my kid to go to the right college, I can take care of that, right? If I get into trouble, I can buy my way out of it. Money provides a certain amount of independence, and the excess of money allows me to be self-sufficient. I don't need anyone or anything else. I'm secure. I've got it covered. Paul says, really? You sure about that? The writer says, don't be too sure of yourself and don't put your hope there. Why? Because it's not as certain as you might think it is. Sure, it has the allure of something lasting, something concrete where we can really foundational. But when you dive a little deeper, that security maybe even the joy that comes out of it. He says it's momentary, and it's not going to go any deeper than just that appearance. You see, God wants to reframe for us what it means to be rich and how that happens. God wants to reframe that for us. He says it's not going to happen through a connection to stuff, and it doesn't happen because we have enough and then we can be secure. In fact, we're going to be rich when we keep all of that in the right perspective and hope in something, someone who can provide the security we actually seek and can provide for us and can even provide joy. Do you see there that God provides for our enjoyment? How about that? This love of God as it gets expressed in these ways in our life. So Paul writes, this is a deeper, a more secure hope, a hope that is placed in a different spot. And as we place our hope there, as we start moving away from this false sense of security of riches, then our hearts can expand and we can find true value and riches there. Paul in his instruction eventually gets to this word generosity and he lays out the challenge to be generous and willing to share. You know, if there is ever something that can reorient our dependence on riches, it's generosity. It's, it's kind of the antidote to this want and need and more, more, more. Generosity. Wrapped up in that idea of generosity is being liberal. Literally, that's what it was talking about. Be liberal. Be liberal in distributing, ready to give whatever we have to share. And not only be ready, but having that attitude, not just that, but actually doing it, not holding on to anything too tightly. It's kind of like our stuff. We hold it in our hands, but we hold it very loosely. We have, we're ready to be open-handed with it. You know, and as I think about that for me, I think, yeah, most times, I think that could describe me. I mean, in general, I am pretty open to sharing most of my stuff. My wife and I, our family, we're generous. We support organizations, causes, churches, people. We're willing to lend things out, willing to be helpful in those ways. And then I started thinking, well, if something's really valuable to me, how open-handed am I then? Or if I really, really like something, what about that? And I, and I thought of this idea, you know, like... Um, if I'm eating a bag of chips, don't go reaching your hand into that bag of chips without asking first, right? It may or may not come out the same way it went in. Or I don't know if you're like this, but if I'm, if I'm eating something or I have numbers of things, 
the part I really like the best, I save to the end. So if I offer you a bite, you know, we're out at a restaurant, I offer my wife, would you, would you like a bite? Would you like to share a little bit of this? And if she just doesn't say no early on, by the end, that, that option's off the table because I've saved for the end what I really want to save her, you know, last. And again, I realize this kind of, we're talking about generosity here and I'm talking about sharing my food. I realize that's a little stupid, but then God is always so kind to us in, in this last week as um, my wife and I were interacting, I had prepared for this. I was thinking through what I was going to be sharing. Um, every Christmas, my uh, parents get me these nuts. And these are premium nuts, all right? There's no peanuts in it. These are these good things. And I'm like loving it. It's the only time of the year I get them. And I keep that bag and I save that bag. And my wife was packing her lunch for, for work. And she's like, oh, hey, could I grab some of these nuts? And I'm thinking, oh, what? Are you kidding? This is my Christmas gift. And then I remembered I was going to be speaking to all of you this Sunday on it, and that literally I had already put that illustration in there about me and food. And again, is that stupid? Yes. This is the woman I love more than any other on the face of the planet, and we're talking about cashews. Yet, let me tell you something. If that's the way my heart is around that, what's what's it going to be like when it's really important? So am I generous? Oh, yes, sure, when it doesn't cost me anything or when I don't really, really like it. But when it comes down to it, what's, what's going on in my heart? Am I generous? Well, that's a part of it for me. Sometimes we get held up by silly things, in fact, in terms of generosity. But other times, Maybe it's more um, some larger things or maybe even some narratives that we tell ourselves or that we act out of that go a little deeper, in fact. One of the resources that Brian shared with me that, that the team is using to share out of some of these ideas was a book by James Brian Smith. And it helped to uh, frame a few things for me in terms of the stories we tell ourselves and what might stop us from generosity, particularly given what we might think about the people to whom that generosity would be given. So there's these three narratives that I just want to touch on briefly. Maybe you'll find yourself, maybe I find myself in some of these as well, that things that could hold us back from being generous because of the stories we tell ourselves about the other people that our generosity may benefit. And the first is kind of a a judgmental narrative. No, that's not us. Uh, Okay, I could just skip it. Well, let me explain it, and then maybe there's a few of us. But, you know, we tell ourselves that God helps those who help themselves. You know that great verse, the Lord helps them who help themselves. That great verse that's not in the Bible. Um, these people, they're in a position of need for a reason. I mean, obviously, they're not doing what they could be doing. I'm doing that. They aren't. So why would I use my resources to benefit or help them? And and so, again, whether subtly or maybe even overtly, our judgment of others stops that generosity. Or maybe it's the scarcity narrative that we tell ourselves. And again, this may not be something you actively think about. But it's just this place we act out of. Obviously, there's only so much to go around. And if I give it away, that means I will have less. And in fact, what I give away is now gone forever. 
and there goes the generosity as well. And that really plays into the third story we tell ourselves. It's an entitlement narrative. What I have is mine. It's intended for me. I've earned it. Not only have I earned it, but I deserve it, clearly, because I have it. So all that I have, it falls under my discretion. And it's here for the sole benefit of me and me alone. In all of these ways, that tape can play in our minds. It's the lens through which we view the world and others. It can impact how we relate to money and generosity. And to the extent that I personally buy into one or any number of these narratives, it's going to impact my use of money, specifically around generosity. And that's the challenge through which I, through which we, need to work. But what's interesting in these verses is that generosity encompasses more than money. I skipped over a few words to get to the word generosity. In fact, verse 18 begins with the word command again. So again, not, well, this would be a nice idea if you choose to do so. Nope, command. This time, it's about doing good. Doing good, active service, which will benefit others. You see, Paul reframes the word rich here in the context again and says, be rich in doing good. And literally, rich meant to be filled, to be filled. So God wants to switch it up, what it means to be rich, and how to help, to offer help to those around you. How are we be filled? Be filled through doing good deeds. Give a hand, offer help to people around you. Take the resources we have whether that's material or otherwise, and do something practical with them. See a need. Provide for it. Use finances, yes, but skills, time, presence, prayers. Give a hand to those around us. Generosity should relate to how gifts and abilities are used as well. Be liberal in all of these ways. And you see, for me, way too often when I hear the word generosity, the only area it seems to connect with in my life is money. And while at times that can be a real challenge, again, depending on what our hearts are like, yes, being liberal with our money can be a challenge. But there's actually other instances where at least in my life it may actually be easier to do that. It may cost me the least because I'm able to give money to something and I can still be disconnected from it. It can be disconnected from who I am. In fact, it can impact my life very little. But if I have to get involved with a life, lives are messy. So when Paul starts to expand the idea of generosity here to include more than money, it includes my time and all of those things, man that can get a little messy. You know, I'd rather throw money from a distance than get dirty up close and personal. Isn't that much easier? Oh, there's a need. Yep, yep, I'll write a check. I don't have to think about that anymore. I don't actually have to involve my life, my time. We're encouraged to be generous, to be liberal in all ways. So Paul expands this definition, this focus of rich, to include different categories of our lives. 
he therefore expands generosity as well. Verse 19, Paul focuses on storing up, but in a totally different way and place. The version of the Bible that I was reading says, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. All right, as a firm foundation for the coming age. Here's the deal. I read that. I thought through it. I prayed about it. I read what other people wrote about it. And here's the thing. I have no clue how that actually happens. Like practically what he is saying there, like how does our generosity here lay up a firm foundation for the age to come? I don't know. It's kind of speculative of what God is going to do in the next life. However, here's what I do know. His point is he's just saying in a different way the thing he has just said a few phrases beforehand. Because again, he's contrasting the temporal and the eternal. The fleeting and that which will truly last. It's contrasting the here and now and the eternal. And the eternal connects to God, the one with no beginning and no end. And so anytime we talk about the eternal, that's where we're getting to this kingdom idea. And in that, we can demonstrate where our hearts are through this type of life we can be living. Again, focus on the last number of words of verse 19, so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. And isn't that what this series is all about? The kingdom, the beautiful life that gets expressed together in community. And this is where this focus just wrecks me a bit, at least in terms of who I typically am. And again, I don't want to speak for you. Just speaking for myself, I am fairly wrapped up in myself. I mean, when it comes to day in and day out, I run everything through the grid of me. But what Jesus is asking through Paul is a different focus. Not on ourselves but on others, in community with one another. This concept, generosity, cannot be accomplished in isolation. Generosity to myself doesn't count. Get that? Generosity to me doesn't count for what we're talking about this morning. We're to be liberal with one another, with our time, our skills, our energies, our prayers, and yeah, even our money. So, the beautiful life, the life that is truly life, isn't focused on me, and it isn't focused solely on the here and now. And again, another one I have trouble with. I mean, the grid through which I view things is typically about what's here, what's in front of me, what do I need to do to accomplish what's today and maybe tomorrow and my goals for the next however many years, and it is not always on what that larger picture is, what God is up to, and what he would actually want me to be doing and be focused on for his kingdom goals. But that's where the life that's truly life is located. And it's not about some time later. Jesus said, my kingdom is here. I'm bringing it here now. Eternity isn't about then Eternity, as we connect our lives with Jesus, starts now. Because there is no end to the life that is truly life. When we connect with Jesus in that way, there is no end to the beautiful life. And then we get to share it together and it gets lived out best with one another. So where do you and I need this in our lives? 
Not for some time later, but through Jesus right now. God wants to shape your life and mine through his Holy Spirit. Maybe it's in that area of hope or security that we started off with this morning. Where is your hope, your confident expectation this morning? And how does money play into that for you, for me? Is it wrapped up in something that will last or in something that will ultimately disappear maybe by the time we leave here this morning? Or maybe this morning the focus needs to be less about security and more about generosity. What have you and I done or what you and I will do which could truly be considered generous, liberal? Could be financially. Maybe it's somewhere else, not just about our finances, but about the freeing up of our time. Where do we need to give a hand, be helpful, require something of our lives? My prayer this morning for our lives is that we truly would be individually, and then as we bring that together in community, a generous community. Because it's in this type of generosity that we begin to experience the beautiful life, the life that is truly life, as we give who we are to Jesus. And it's in that experience together, as you bring what you're doing and I bring what I'm doing, that that gets made real as we come together in community. Because we can accomplish so much more together than we ever could on our own. That's why it's a joy for me to be here this morning because we're not just talking about the community of Mannheim or the community of Mannheim Brethren in Christ Church. It's churches across this community. It's churches across our family of churches. This kingdom, it's us. It's here. It's now. But it's so much larger as well. And we get to be invited into it, our lives in that And so my prayer for you, for me, is that in Jesus we would take hold of the life that is truly life. And in doing so, we would experience its beauty most fully with one another in community. Let's pray to that end. So Jesus, this morning, we've sung about your love and, and your generosity in that, and certainly the starting place for all of this in our lives. It starts with you and what you've done for us, and what you've given to us. But out of that, not to earn that love, or not to earn what you've done for us, but as an expression of it, you desire that we be open-handed, that we would be open-handed with our lives, with our, with our funds, with our money, but with who we are, our skills, our time, our prayers, And that our eyes would be so fixed on you that it would pull our focus away from ourselves and would pull our focus away from the here and now. And it would enlarge the picture of what you want to do in us. So God, may we, may I, chase after the life that is truly life. And may that only be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.